All right, it's Friday. Backpatting day means uh, it's the end of the week. You can pat yourself on the back because you've made it to this day heading into Saturday. We're going to have rotten weather, though, today. Don't look at me like that. We're going to have rotten weather today. Okay, I got you. This is Tony Beam, Director of Church and Community Engagement for the Tim Brezier Campus of North Greenville University, where Christ makes the difference and where we are equipping transformational leaders for the church and society. Also serve as Director of Public Policy for the South Carolina Baptist Convention, and I'm currently Interim Pastor at Five Forks Baptist Church in Simpsonville. Come see us. 10.30 in the morning, we have worship services, and we'd be glad for you to come on by. That is, if you don't have a church home. Don't leave your church if you're faithfully committed. They need you. Okay. Um, wow. Six-month trial, uh, six-week trial, rather, for Alex Murdoch. And 70 witnesses. Did I see that? Let me pull this story up so that I am better prepared to speak intelligently about things of which I know little because I just didn't follow the whole thing. I didn't. I, I know people's – I don't know what some people are going to do today. I mean, he's going to be sentenced at 930, so after that, we're pretty much done. So what are all these – people are going to have to go back to work. They're going to have to get a different job if they've been – you know, their entire life's been consumed by this for a couple of years. No, I know people who were out in their yard doing yard work and had their earbuds yeah. in. I said, what yeah. you listening to today? The, the, trial. the trial. The trial. It was, it was called about? The, the trial. trial. Yeah. The trial. Well – you know, look, I, that's fine. I'm not, I have no, uh, I, it fascinates me because, you know, uh, I'd rather have my teeth pulled without Novocaine than to, to do that. But there are people who do that and, you know, it's important and we should say, okay, no problem. But it fascinates me. But anyway, I mean, I just it, say it was, bless your heart. That's usually what I say. Well, bless no, your heart. I'm glad you're no, listening to no. that. Well, you know, um, the the fascinating thing is that it, apparently it was all the drama was for little value here. I mean, six weeks. Where's my witness? Yeah, seventy witnesses. I thought I had that right. Yeah, <clears throat> seventy witnesses testified, um, and Murdaugh has maintained his innocence, suggesting his son Paul was the main target for the murders due to his involvement in a 2019 boat crash that killed 19-year-old Mallory Beach. So, you know, but it took less than three hours. The closing statement of the prosecution was three hours. It took less than three hours for the jury to come back and say guilty on all counts. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. They were, I mean, they basically ate a ham sandwich and came back and said, yep, He's getting, no, I'm kidding. I, I didn't do that. I, I probably shouldn't be flipping about something that's so serious because, I mean, he just got convicted of killing his wife and his son and using a deadly weapon in the course of a committing a felony. Or Maybe they a, would have taken murder. longer to deliberate over it if he hadn't tried to fake his own death and tried to swindle a bunch of people out of a bunch of money. And what was the other big drama thing that he, oh, and lied about where he was on the, and, and admitted that he lied. Yeah. Like I think all that probably and and the, and the prosecutor absolutely made a meal out of that stuff. He did, and I'm not sure, but but there are things that the defense uh, they highlighted, but I don't know if they communicated it well enough to 
interject reasonable doubt. Because, apparently not. Well, apparently not, yeah. <laughs> that Less than three hours, you know. I mean, wow. I wonder if they just went in, took a vote, and said, well, we need to at least wait about three hours because we don't, you know. I think they just—they they didn't buy any of yeah, the defenses. I, they probably just communicated with eye signals. You know, yeah. everybody looked around. <laughs> everybody like, just nodded. Yeah, and said, okay, call the judge. Pizza. Um, you know, here here are the things that to me create a problem. I I think the Snapchat video that his son did of the dog, that you can hear Murdaugh's voice in the background and it took them Denise was telling me about this it took the secret service to get that phone open mm. because it's an iPhone mm-hmm. and you know I, I'm glad I have an iPhone if it takes you know and it took months for them to get into the thing um Apple's come up with some pretty good security but um you know the Snapchat I think it's it it, it sunk him because he had said for years that he wasn't there and then he had to admit that he lied because his voice is on the Snapchat chat minutes before they were, you know, the the, the son and and the wife were killed. Mm. So and but but here's the thing: Sled, you know, Sled was accused of not preserving the crime scene. They they didn't get fingerprints. They didn't uh, get DNA samples. Uh, they took evidence from uh, Murdoch's clothes, and it's Murdoch, I think. People were calling him Murdoch Murdoch. I don't I don't know which one's correct. It's spelled with a G H, which would make me think it was Murdoch. And maybe that sounds like Murdoch. But anyway. G H um, can say F like laugh too, so it maybe it's Murdoch. Yeah, could be. Yeah. Well, whatever it is, it's guilty. <laughs> we could that's a pretty easy word to, to pronounce. But um you know, there. well, let's look at it this way. There were two weapons involved. There was a shotgun and a rifle. And so the defense made a lot of, uh, about that, you know, that the fact that the, the two guns were used would suggest two assailants. But the prosecutor said, no, we found evidence from the shotgun of, like, birdshot and regular slugs, which they did. That's how they loaded their shotgun shells because they went out to the shooting range where they would go practice and they found casings at the scene uh, that matched the the weapon that uh, apparently was one of Murdoch's favorites. And the shotgun was the son's favorite, I think, and the rifle was Murdoch's favorite. So uh, why, why he had both out there, now, I didn't see what kind of shotgun it was, you know, because Denise was saying, why not just shoot everybody with the same gun? And, I, and, and so I, I, I need to look at a picture or see what, the, what, what kind of weapon. But if it was a double-barrel shotgun, then he shot his son twice, or allegedly. Well, no, it's not allegedly now. He's being convicted. He shot his son twice with a shotgun, which suggests to me that it was a double barrel. And once you shoot somebody with a double barrel, uh, if you shoot them twice, you have to reload. And so he had the other weapon. He just picked it up and started shooting his wife. And apparently they demonstrated, you know, because he's 6'4". Another thing the defense did is they had an expert on there that testified that the person that shot his wife had to have been 5'4", 
something, you know, a foot shorter than Murdoch. But the prosecution convinced the jury that she was down on the ground, evidently, from the first shot, and then he was just walking around her, shooting her, shot her multiple times. I think five times total. This is just so, barbaric. I, I, I know it oh. is. It is the whole thing. And I, I get why people, believe me, the interest is in, in just, you know, this is a prominent family. This is a, a guy who's pretty much run Colleton County. He's been uh, president of the trial lawyers. I mean, you know, just a, a looming figure in South Carolina and to have all this happen. I couldn't figure out what the motive might have been, but, you know, his son was about to go to trial for being under the influence of alcohol while operating a boat, and he killed this uh, young girl and as a result of that. And the wife was had decided she had had enough and was going to divorce him. And the combination of those two things meant that all of his financial records were about to be exposed, and he, you know, everything that he had done was about to come out. Uh, all of his financial malfeasance, the fact that he had swindled about $8 million from clients and all this. And, uh, it, you know, that the idea of that led to him trying to stage his own murder so that his wife would get the insurance money, be able to pay off the debt and so forth. And that was a fail. You know, it didn't – it ended up he, – he was hurt, but he survived – and um, and so they talked about be, he became sort of a family annihilator. You know, he just it was going to be better in his own mind. It was going to be better for his son Paul to to be dead than face the the trial that he was about to go through, where he was evidently clearly intoxicated because of the you know the breathalyzer. They were able to get the evidence that he was intoxicated, and then his wife. Um, you know, she was obviously distraught and coming at him with, you know, when he shot Paul. And so all of that, the, the jury bought every bit of it. There was, there were, there was hair, I think, in her hand, maybe, that was brown. It was a different color. You know, both of them are redheads. And so whatever hair she had, and there was DNA under her fingernails, that was not Murdoch's or anybody's that were was at the scene, and uh, there were allegedly tire tracks that were leading away, and um, you know they didn't they didn't make a uh, any kind of impression or uh, to find out what kind of exactly tires they were, all of that, and and so to me a lot of that could have added up to reasonable doubt, but I think when he got on the stand. Um, I think the jury just sat there and was appalled. Uh, they obviously didn't believe him. You had all these lawyers and prosecutors and different celebrities on television talking about what an impeccable job he did on the stand, that he just did an amazing job. He was you know, just completely in control of the prosecutor's questions. Well, he, he might have been, but he wasn't in control, obviously, of the jury's thought process. They were looking at a guy and going, what a liar. What a sleaze. He killed his wife and his son. And, you know, evidently they were thinking that while he was testifying. He testified for two days. And he got real emotional and started, you know, he was crying. And um, they were talking about this last night on, um, I think it was Hannity, about the fact that 
it likely that was to try to sway at least one or two jurors mm. so that you would have a, a hung jury, couldn't come to an avert, a verdict, mm. because people would be swayed or taken in by his emotional displays. And that didn't happen. So He's guilty. So is the judge sentencing him then, or is the jury no, no, I, to get— I, I, You know, I don't I mean, know. I think the judge, I guess, I don't know. I, I shouldn't because uh, I don't. Is the prosecution I, pursuing death penalty? So? No, no, no. There's okay. no death penalty. Okay. Thirty years okay. is the max, mm. and he'll probably get every bit of it, because you know we haven't even talked about him being charged for all of the financial crimes oh, so and that's still all pending. of the. It could hmm. be, and then the attempted murder that he paid somebody to do that on, on himself. You know, mm. all of that. I I don't know if what they'll just say, guy. well, if he gets thirty years. You know, uh, he's going to die in prison. So mm. if you know, I don't, I don't know. I guess if they'll go back and prosecute. Thirty years of his thirty years. Yeah, they'll probably give him thirty years without parole. Okay, would be my guess. That'd be good. Yesterday, the hate crimes legislation came up to the floor. It got passed out of the Judiciary Committee on Wednesday, and it came to the floor yesterday and was read across the desk. And I mean, there were this thing was on a on a on a train to get passed. I mean, they were going to debate it. And, you know, now it's been put off until probably Wednesday. And I've been talking to lawmakers and trying to get them to agree to put it on the contested calendar at least and uh, so that it, it doesn't just run through. Um, hate crimes legislate. There are two states in the country that doesn't have some kind of hate crimes legislation on the books. That is, additional enhanced penalties if it can be proven that a person uh, assaulted or killed another person, murdered somebody, uh, for, because they were because of their race, their gender, and, of course, now their sexual identity or gender identity. I mean, that's, you know, that that's the... Everybody says we that that has to be added in there. Not everybody, but a lot of people, the people that are pushing the bill. So this bill has gone through a lot of iterations. They tried to pass it last year. It, didn't, it passed the House, didn't pass the Senate. And part of the reason is that of the language that was in the bill. We in, in the committee process, the language of the bill got cleaned up very well and you know, that that happened last year. Well, this year, Section 2 of the bill has the, the Bostock language, which is the definition of sex in the bill from the Bostock Supreme Court case. And that's, that's the problem because in Bostock, they redefined the word sex as used in the 1967 Civil Rights Bill as including... Um, gender identity and sexual identity or sexual, let me back up, sexual preference and gender identity. So it, it was not the full sweeping LGBTQ, we're going to embrace anything anybody can come up with definition that the LGBTQ community was wanting, but it did affirm that the word sex meant gender preference, uh, gender identity, and sexual preference. So that covers homosexuality and transgender. So I found this article from the Heritage Foundation. I've also got information from ADF 
that pretty much confirms the same thing. And it's sort of a history of how the Bostock decision and that definition of sex has been used in court cases at the state and federal level to push the LGBTQ agenda into into law. I mean, they're, the courts are referring to it because it's a Supreme Court decision. And yeah, it's supposed to be within the context only of Title VII, which is employment. It has to do with, uh, um, you know, can you, who can you discriminate against in employment? Well, we know you can't discriminate, discriminate against the disabled. You can't discriminate against a person because of race um, or because of, of biological gender. But because Bostock was a case about a, a, a funeral, it was three cases that were kind of got put together. But one of the cases was a funeral home had hired someone that had worked there for a number of years, and then one day they, they showed up wearing a dress and declared that they were transgender. Well, you can imagine if you're in a community and you're taking care of people's needs at a very traumatic time in life that you don't necessarily want to walk into a funeral home that you're trusting with, um, you know, having this final funeral service for somebody that you love and and have some guy standing there in a dress. But so the funeral home wanted to fire him uh, when he refused to go back to normal dress. And this thing went all the way to the Supreme Court. You know, in Title VII, could this funeral home fire him? And the decision of the Supreme Court was no, because they and they said that that was discrimination. Gorsuch went along with this. And the Bostock definition of sex got to, you know, there's a big debate over what that word means. And it became to mean, in the Bostock decision, sexual preference and gender identity. So here's what Heritage Foundation has said about that. The Bostock decision immediately raised the question of whether on the basis of sex means sexual orientation and gender identity for all other laws that use that term, and there are several. For example, if Bostock applied to Title IX, which forbids discrimination in education, it would seem to also forbid single-sex sports teams and sex-specific bathrooms and locker rooms. To be sure, Gorsuch tried to cabin the court's decision to Title VII, saying we have not had the benefit of adversarial testing about the meaning of other statutes' terms, and we do not prejudge any such question today. The problem with that, however, is that it's not the way the lower courts work. And I think this is important for everybody to hear who thinks that it doesn't matter if the Bostock language is in this bill concerning hate crimes. What matters for them when they're deciding similar but not identical cases to ones decided by the Supreme Court is the reasoning and that there were plenty of reasons to expect the lower courts would take Bostock and run with it. Now that some time has passed, we've been able to look at what the lower courts have done with Bostock, at least so far, and sure enough, they've applied it to other statutes. In at least a dozen cases, the courts have unsurprisingly extended Bostock's definition of sex in Title uh, VII to other statutes. In Grimm versus Gloucester, Gloucester sorry, County Board uh, and Adams versus School Board, uh, of, uh, of St. John's County, for example, the 4th and 11th Circuit Courts of Appeal respectively applied Bostock's definition to Title IX and struck down 
sex-specific bathroom policies in public schools. So this is these are state laws that got elevated, you know, made it all the way to the circuit court, and the circuit court struck down bathroom laws that would have allowed segregated bathrooms by biological sex by using the Bostock language. That's what they cited. And then it goes on in in Hecox versus Little, a district court in Idaho applied it to Title IX and women's sports and struck down a state law that preserved women's sports for biological females. That case is now on appeal. So Gorsuch's attempt to limit Bostock to Title VII was ignored by those courts. One of the courts extending Bostock to Title IX said there's no apparent reason why the court's conclusion would remain cabin to Title VII and not extend to other statutes prohibiting sex discrimination. Some cases have gone even further. In Clark County School District versus Bryan, the Supreme Court of Nevada not only applied Bostock to Title IX, it expanded on the basis of sex to include perceived sexual orientation. A federal district court in Pennsylvania, meanwhile, extended the definition of sex to include gender stereotyping, and they all referred back to Bostock. So this has been my concern from the beginning. When, you know, you you hear lawmakers, and I think they mean well. I I don't mean to suggest that anybody's trying to pull a fast one, because I, I I don't think that's what's happening here. But I, th- I think they're saying, look, we can, just like Gorsuch said, we can keep this definition in this box legally. And once we put it in that box, it's in there, and you don't have to worry that it's going to get out of the box. It gets out of the box. If this language stays in this bill, uh, this hate crimes bill for South Carolina, you know, we've already seen that we have an activist Supreme Court. Now, we don't know what the Supreme Court in South Carolina looks like now because uh, Justice Gary Hill has been added to the mix. And he could change the activist court from a 3-2 activist court back to a 3-2 court that is a constructionist court, a, a, a court that looks at the text, textualist, uh, you know, this is what the law means, not this is what the law should mean. But even at that. Uh, uh, Gorsuch right. is, a, is a constructionist. You know, he know. is. He's demonstrated that his judicial philosophy is right. one of construction. Well, that's why. That, and he that's looks why, at the text. That's why this and is And he dangerous. still came to a bad conclusion on this right. issue, on this exact issue. He wrote the opinion. He wrote right. the Bostock opinion. Right. So this is this is why, you know, if in some states, by the way, uh, you know, when you talk about, well, only Wyoming and South Carolina don't have hate crimes. Some states, by the way, that passed hate crime legislation used the actual understood definitions of sex and gender. So they're they're talking about race, which would obviously cover anybody. If you commit a crime uh, based on animus or hatred toward another person because of their race, that would be a hate crime. Um, if you commit a crime on somebody because of their gender, like if if you hate women and you go kill somebody because of their gender, you, you know those are typical. Those have that's been the understood definition for most of the history of our country and, quite frankly, the history of the world. So, having hate crime, if you're going to have hate crime, put it in the context. And by the way, this they they named this law. Um, uh, let me see if I can find. I don't I don't want to mispronounce this. 
Yeah, it's the Clement Pinckney Law, Clementa C. Pinckney Law. And, of course, Clementa C. Pinckney was the representative that was killed uh, along with the other people that were at the Bible study when that horrendous event took place down in Charleston. So, you know, or it's, I don't have a problem remembering him, but he, he was killed because he was black. The, the racists that shot those people um, are, you know, needed to be charged because of prejudice, because of his, because he demonstrated, he freely admitted that he was out to kill black people. To start a race war. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So do I, do I think that you could add extra penalties for that? Yeah. I think the law allows that now. I don't think well, you have to pass a new law. Well, there are already federal hate, hate crime, and, and Dylan right. Roof was charged with federal hate crime hate right. crimes. Right. So, I mean, it's no. Well, that's why I, you know, it's not th- really necessary. That's my argument as well. Uh-huh. Plus, finally, you don't want to put a federal definition of sex in a state bill because what happens when the federal definition of sex changes? You know, you may say, well, Bostock is, it's going to be confined to that decision because it says for the purpose of this law, then the word sex will be defined by Bostock, by the Bostock decision. But that's a federal Supreme Court ruling. Mm -hmm. You could argue if another court comes along and further expands the definition of sex, that you could come back and say, yes, South Carolina law says that it has to be adhere to the Bostock decision, but that implies that the meaning of the intent of the legislators was to follow federal statute when it comes to that. Federal statute has now changed, and federal statute includes not only transgender or gender identity and sexual preference, but it includes whatever else is on its way, Bi- you know, non-binary, which we already have. I mean, there's there's like 56 different uh, definitions of sexuality, you could put every single one of them in there if the federal government agrees to, in some Supreme future Supreme Court case, agrees to add those. So I just think it's we, we don't need that. If if you're if you're gonna if we're gonna have a hate crimes bill, let's protect, let's add penalties based on race, gender, Age, age. I mean, there's a you know possibility of people being uh, killed because of their age. Uh, di- you know, and I said disability. There was one other that I'd thought about that w- religion. Yeah, yeah, religion. If if you could, if you're, if there's you know, uh, religious animus. But w- let's let's take immutable characteristics. You know, things. If if you're gonna talk about the physical appearance, let's make it immutable characteristics, biological sex and gender, um, those things, race, those are immutable characteristics. And then you put in religion, um, age discrimination, and so forth. Um, You know, I, I probably, before I weigh in on this story completely, I probably should go to Greenville County to the library and take a look at these books that everybody's talking about. Now, I've seen some of them because Senator Josh Kimbrell had, um, you know, a press conference in front of the Spartanburg Library 
and he showed he actually brought out pictures books with pictures showing that that had pornographic images in them um and when they he held up the books to demonstrate what what was actually going on then you know they had to blur out the images for television but these are things that are available in the public library which makes no sense to me so the controversy over in Greenville is still going on um and and they, there's a story today about Tim Carlin in the Greenville, Greenville News about it. Um, here are the key points, and then we can kind of talk about them a little bit here. The Greenville County Library System is considering the permanent removal of 24 books, many of which are children's picture books with LGBTQ plus themes. Now, right there, children's picture books. But before we sanitize the alphabet and and don't fully understand in in case there are those who don't fully understand what we're talking about we're talking about lgbtq plus we're talking about lesbian gay bisexual transgender queer and the plus sign is to include anything up to and beyond anybody's definition of what it means to be sexual i mean self-identification that has gone completely, gotten completely out of control. And it leads to, you know, illustrations in some of these books that I couldn't even talk about to you on the radio. I mean, we'd have to, we'd have to step outside because I'm not going to say some of the things. Yeah, let me build up that by, I forgot to put the, <laughs> to, to put the dump butt button on. Um, I mean, I, I I'm not even going to say some of the things that are depicted in these books and whether, look, it, it, to me, it doesn't matter that much whether they're, they're in the parenting section or in the children's section. They don't need to be anywhere except in the porn section at the sleazy place that you walk in that you hope nobody notices your car is in the parking lot. I mean, to me, you know, that because... When we get into this debate about obscene material, I think we begin to have the conversation, well, nobody wants obscene material in front of children. Nobody wants obscene material in front of children. But if it's in the parents' section, and and one of the things they've been arguing about is to take the material out of the children's section that deals with all of this and put it in the parents' section. Would that be a compromise so that children don't have access to it? You'd have to have your library card. And, you know, as I understand it, you know, now you go to the library and as it should be. I remember when, you know, when I was a kid back in the dark ages, you know, you could walk into a library and pick out a book and sit down at a table and flip through it, look at it. You didn't have to check it out. Well, it. That you know, children's books that are accessible to the children are supposed to be pretty innocuous. I mean, you know, um, what what's some what's some books that I could I could think of? Well, of course, now with all of the you know woke and politically correct stuff out there, uh, you know, you 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 can't have some of the books that I grew up with. With you know, Doctor Seuss. 
um, has been considered what there were six Dr. Seuss titles that they were going to drop because of they they were woke. I mean, they weren't woke. They were disparaging of uh, ethnic origin or some such. And and I mean, other books they're actually trying to rewrite in order to get offensive material out of them that are children's books. Roald Dahl comes to mind. And yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know they'll do that, but then in in their place. They're putting books with LGBTQ plus themes, picture books, um, information. And, and like I said, for parents, you, you know, if, if a parent can walk in a library and check out a book and take what I, I agreed that that parent should be responsible enough to not put that material in front of their children. But then again, you have parents who are irresponsible to the point that they're willing to push for their children to have gender reassignment surgery as a minor. So I, yeah, how John do you Stone protect the been, children? He's been talking a lot about this issue, about what to do, because, we, because as conservatives, we have an ironclad commitment to people right. making their own decisions. Yes, yes. That's personal responsibility. And, yeah. that, and that stream flows two directions. Not only does it mean we want you to take responsibility for your actions, so come on, it also means we give you the right to make your own decisions. Yeah, but what's so the, what's we, the barrier? We want that. Yeah, and, and and so what's the limiting principle is what he's been asking because, like, for instance, we're banning TikTok off of phones. We're telling people you're doing things that are no longer good for society. Like, there's a public interest involved here that gives us, as a government, as a people, the right to say you can no longer engage in that behavior. Same type of thing. We we want parents to make the best decisions for their kids, but whenever they stop doing that, and we right. know right. that social media, we know that, the, I mean, the science is unequivocal that social media use at the levels that it currently is, or maybe at any level, is bad for teenage girls, okay? So do we forbid the access uh, by teenage girls to social media, to TikTok, to Snapchat. Do we block that? And we do we require Snapchat to have an age filter, an age verification process on their app for download? You know, we want to say you can do whatever you want because that's who we are as conservatives. But whenever you start hurting people and you start, it's the conscience of the constable. Well, You're going to be governed one way or the other. And either if you can't do it for yourself in a wise and responsible way, we'll do it for you. Well, Okay, but here's the cultural aspect of that. Okay. Truth and politics and culture. Here we go. The cultural aspect is, yes, we want people to take responsible behavior Mm -hmm. so that we can, culture can hold itself together. Mm -hmm. But if people in mass... Begin right. to make irresponsible decisions. Parents start giving their kids puberty taking, blockers. Taking across. kids to drag queen shows right. where they're being exposed to hypersexualized, very disturbed men who dress up like women and go do these things in front of them, some of lewd behavior. What, what effect does that have on all of us? That doesn't just affect that child or that family. Eventually, that's going to spread to an attitude in the culture that is very destructive for our children for and, and eventually for ourselves. So I, I you know, the things that and, and TikTok, by the way, is a different conversation. The problem with TikTok is not that it's a social media uh, device that people are getting addicted to. I mean, we can have that 
discussion about Facebook and Instagram and all the other. TikTok is being used by a foreign government to mine information about Americans to do harm to the country. Yeah, frankly— That's a little different. This is just me, okay? And I, and I realize there's going to be a range of opinions on this. I appreciate the fact that they're using national security as a grounding for banning TikTok off of government phones or devices. That's fine. I'm not as concerned about the about the national security implications of TikTok and the data mining and all that kind of stuff, although that exists. I know it does, and I'm glad they're banning it. So, but but my concern with TikTok as a TikTok as a social phenomenon is the damage that it's doing to teenagers, the 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 mind rotting, soul corrupting influence of TikTok. Like that's that's what I care because I care more about people than I do about national security even. And that it's, that it's statement harmful. makes no sense. Is that right? Yes, because. How can you care more about people than you do national security when if we lose our national security, we don't have any people? Yeah, I just the, don't. The, I guess the, I view one of those threats as being much, much greater than the other. Oh, my. Well, that's interesting because I, I can't think of anything much more threatening than the complete overthrow of the United States and undermining. Through TikTok. What? I, I mean, I don't no, buy no, that math. No, though, no, 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 no. I'm not just saying just through TikTok, uh -huh. but it's one of the tools that are being used for that end. Hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I don't want to see individual young people's minds destroyed by this garbage. Mm -hmm. But I also don't want to see young people, individuals, destroyed by communist and, but how I mean, can, takeover. But how and, can they do that through TikTok? Well, I, I'm t I just I mean, said. Uh, Milo, thanks for calling. Hey, good morning. Um Let's see. Um, I was just calling about the question about the pronunciation of Murdoch. Richard Alexander Murdoch's uh, name. It's okay. it's the a family reserves the right to pronounce it how they want to, regardless of how anybody else does. And the, so, and and I don't think anybody would dispute that. And their family pronounces it as in it ending in D-A-W without any C or G or anything else that's there. The problem is that the, um, the uh, dialects that people have in that area down there are extremely um, very specific, and they're not found anywhere else in South Carolina. Um, it's not a traditional South Carolina accent. Accent. It's more of a Bayou accent that you would hear um, over in western, southwestern Mississippi and Louisiana. But that accent that they have puts when they say Murdoch, that it puts a, almost a glottal stop at the end, and that's where why why some people are misinterpreting it as being Murdoch or Murdoch. And uh, so the reason is because of um, the the dialect. Exactly. See, I, I was going to make that point when we were talking about it, and it was that I actually, I use the glottal stop, which any program, any radio program that uses the words glottal stop, that's just next level radio. But I, I use the glottal stop because then if people correct me and they're like, no, it's Murdoch. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what I said. And if they say, no, it's Murdoch. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I said. See, so I just get it right no matter how you try it. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, Milo. I appreciate that. Um, look, look, I don't want to mispronounce anybody's name, but I would push back a little bit on this idea that a family gets to decide how to pronounce their name no matter what. I mean, my last name is Beam, B-E-A-M, 
And if I, if I went around telling people that my last name, we spell it B-E-A-M, but it's really Johnson, I think there would be, I think there would be reason for people to question my sanity, A, and there's got to be some rule of what letters mean when they get put together. Well, I mean, if we're going to continue the, the English language, I mean, well, that, that that's not stretching it beyond though to say it's either Murdoch or Murdoch or Murdoch or Murdoch. That glottal stop that you couldn't. Hear yeah, I've there. got, I got that. But I'm just saying the statement <laughs> that well, a family gets to decide how to pronounce their name. Johnson, I'm going to call no you Tony Johnson okay. now. From here so on the out. context, the yeah. context that I use that in I was know. in slight variations in pronunciation, yeah. not in the context that someone's going to be um, completely insane, like pretending that they're a male when they're really a female and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's the context that you were trying to put it in. And um, frankly, I'm not that type of person. So I, I, I take offense that. that you would you group me in with the LGBT plus and, and everything it. else there beyond crowd. Well, touchy, I'm touchy. I'm fascinated that you think that I just threw you into that entire crowd by simply asking about my name. But anyway, um, I, that, that was not my intent, Milo. Of course, I love um, you, Doctor. I know, I, I lo- know. It's all good, too, take good fun. Yes, so. sir. It is. Thanks. Have a good day. No, look, I um, I, I get it. I mean, I I you understand that I come from rural North Carolina, where if you want to communicate with somebody. If you speak the name of of uh, locations according to their spelling, and then and and according to the rules of pronunciation, you will not be able to communicate what you're talking about, because Forest City for most people that live in the in the area is Far City. Have you been over to Far City? Far it becomes F A R City. Uh, Ellenboro becomes Ellenburg. And Rutherfordton, believe it or not, it's it's spelled R U T H E R F O R D T O N. Rutherfordton becomes Rutherford. I mean, you know, Rutherford County becomes Rutherford County, and Rolfton. I mean, I don't know how many people I've, I've heard call Rutherfordton Rolfton. Have you been to Rolfton today? You know. So, anyway, uh, language is a tricky. No, thing. I can't live in that world. I'm sorry. Oh, I lived. I'm I'm perfectly happy in that world. I just have to, you know. I, I in fact, well, I've told the story about Mooresboro. So because I I'd never heard it. I actually cut a commercial, one of the first ones I did when I went to work with for WBBO in Forest City. I I cut a commercial for a, a business over in Mooresboro, and I pronounced it on the commercial as Moseboro, because I had never in my life. And I was at the time in my 20s. I had never heard of a town called Mooresboro. I, I promise I thought it was Moseboro because that's what everybody said. I, and it, that, I don't think it's got a, like a sign that's got it spelled out. And a producer came in there, and he was laughing. You know, he's slapping his leg. and You're going to have to redo that commercial. And I said, well, if I do, nobody's going to know where the heck to go because they, they're, they're going to be like me. They were raised in the same county. Uh, all right, we're running out of time here. We're gonna uh, we'll come back and talk about the library some more, and about TikTok, and about. I mean, I don't know how we got so far afield. I was trying to talk about books and banning books, and we ended up talking about social media and well, TikTok. You're, and you're right, though. It's just because conservatives don't like banning stuff. That's not our instinct is to ban stuff. But I I don't I have no problem banning stuff that is horrible. 
that has really bad, disturbing influences on our culture. And I think uh, depic- depicting homosexual acts between children and I don't, and, is— and, and, um, and, of course, you know, I don't disagree of, with of that course, at all. Of course. It's just I wish that people would do it for themselves. That's my conservative sure. instinct is— I would like that. Have you no decency, sir? That's kind of my impulse. And the, the answer to that you question know? would be no. No. Unfortunately not. You have no decency. Right. Believe me, I see people all the time that come to protest this kind of stuff, and they have zero decency about what they would do or say or portray. Or, I mean, it's unbelievable.